0: Are entering the Freedom Hut.
1: Impeachment debacle day two is upon us. We have Elizabeth Warren versus the billionaires. MSNBC goes full deep state. Deval Patrick jumps in the Democratic primary and Obama versus Trump on Ukraine coming up. This This is the Buck Sexton Sexton Show. Show.
2: Where the mission, the mission is to decode what really matters.
0: With actionable intelligence. One
2: small thing. Make no mistake. America.
1: Great you're a great America again.
0: The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former, Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton.
2: It is Buck Sexton. Now.
1: I did not watch it. I'm, I'm too busy to watch it. It's a witch hunt. It's a hoax. I'm too busy to watch it. So, uh... Uh, I'm sure I'll get a report. There's briefed? nothing. There's I have not been briefed. No, there's nothing there. I see they're using lawyers uh, that are television lawyers. They took some guys off television. You know, I'm not surprised to
2: see it because Schiff can't do his own questions.
1: Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. A big swing and a miss for Democrats yesterday on Capitol Hill. Man, was that whole thing a waste. Now it's one thing to say that it's boring, we would expect most of these congressional proceedings are boring, and that's why in the soundbite culture we live in, people only remember a few moments where somebody gets testy, you know, point of order, Ah, people yelling, people are screaming, why, they don't know. Protesters in the back shrieking, things like that. that. That tends to be what is memorable from these things. But usually there's some substance to it, or you'd like to think there's some substance to it. There's more than just the ramblings of partisans and the musings of bureaucrats. But guess what? That's pretty much all you had yesterday, except when some of the Republicans were able to step up. Jim Jordan getting put on the Intelligence Committee last minute, by the way. Well, played Republican leadership. Give a little credit where it's due, everybody. Congressman Jordan had a strong showing yesterday, but it is one thing for it to be boring. It's another thing for it to be pointless. Anyone listening, watching yesterday would have to think, what do the Democrats believe that they are really proving here? Abuse of power that was not, in fact, abused. Crimes that were not committed And that even if the acts alleged as crimes were committed, would not actually be crimes. What do they think they are putting together here? I think the Democrats, unfortunately for them, are suffering from a degree of Trump derangement syndrome. I remember when I was in the CIA, we would often be reminded by some of our uh, more senior mentors Don't think that the enemy is a bunch of geniuses that can lead to mistakes on your side. Don't think that the opposition has some magnificent strategy. Don't underestimate them, but don't overestimate them either. And I think here what we see is a Democrat opposition to Trump that is driven first and foremost by a deep, seething resentment and hatred of this president and this presidency. And then anything else is a secondary consideration, anything other than just Trump bad, orange man bad, as the phrase goes on social media. That's what that's the driving, the driving theory behind so much of this. Well, Trump is awful. So let's just approach everything from the baseline perspective of Trump is awful. What did we really find out yesterday? What did we see? Well, you had a couple of of bureaucrats from the State Department. One of whom showed up in his uh, f- fanciest bow tie, and there was analysis written in newspapers. I'm serious about how the bow tie was meant to was meant to tie into his official State Department portrait to show that this is work and business, and that this is his career. I mean, these people are nuts. They really are. There's something. There's something that has gone very, very wrong with them, but. Nobody could come away from yesterday. I mean, there were some people, I'll be honest with you, there there are a couple even. I've always thought that uh, Judge Napolitano, for example, he's always been very gentlemanly to me. And I cannot say a bad word. I would not say a bad word about the man personally, uh, whenever I've interacted with him. He's becoming one of the worst analysts on TV because he never sees anything other than Trump is bad. Trump is guilty. And he doesn't understand that that's not really feasible, That's what MSNBC does. That's what CNN does. So there are these places where they're so stuck in the loop of everything. uh, Everything Trump is is awful and he must have committed a crime. We just have to find out what the crime is, that there's no taking a step back. The audience has been conditioned for this and they expect it. Anyone who would show up and say, what exactly is the impeachable offense here? In fact, the witnesses were asked yesterday. uh, What the impeachable offenses were. Um the witnesses were asked to tell us. And they they, by the way, had nothing. They don't they don't know. What is the uh, they don't know. In the past, it was very clear during impeachment proceedings exactly what was going on. You look at Andrew Johnson, he removed the Secretary of War and contravention to what Congress had had enacted. And guess what? The Senate was like nah, even though everybody hated Johnson at the time. Going back in the 19th century now, everybody hated Andrew Johnson. I mean, even his own party, but they were like, nah, we can't can't kick him out for this. This is nonsense. Okay. You had Bill Clinton. Why was he impeached? And he was impeached. People always seem to forget this. He wasn't removed, he was impeached uh, because he lied under oath, which is a felony and for which he was disbarred. Bill Clinton broke the law. Bill Clinton should have gone to prison. People forget this. He was, he was absolutely nailed, hand in the cookie jar, caught lying, no question about it. There's no exception in federal law for I was lying under oath about a material fact, but it was like a really personal thing. That, that doesn't exist. Was he prosecuted after he left office? No, of course not. Did they even press the criminal case again? Did they remove him from office? No, they didn't. But at least everybody was very clear about... What and there were, you know, there were other articles of impeachment as well, but there was a crime that was committed. And he was guilty of that crime, which I think is worth noting. You go back to Nixon. Nixon didn't even get impeached. Why? Because Nixon was dunzo and he knew it. They had Nixon. Um, public opinion had turned against him, his own party had turned against him, and that was all she wrote. What is the dunzo moment here exactly? What's the what's the big reveal? I mean, Jim Jordan, for example, was pressing diplomat Bill Taylor and these guys, you know, Taylor and the other guy, they they were out of central casting for pinstriped wearing foggy bottom stuffy pseudo intellectual policy folks. I mean, you know, this is like exactly what I I used to deal with them. I'm not just some journo who runs around. Oh, like let me just say the things that I think. No, this is I used to have to deal with them. I had to deal with them overseas. Uh, You know, some members of the State Department, I've got to tell you, have a particularly negative view of of the real work that the intelligence agencies are doing sometimes. But I digress. Uh, Jim Jordan here pressed Taylor on the issue of, okay, what really happened here? Exactly. Play Seven,
3: please. President Zelensky had to commit to an investigation of Biden's before the aid got released and the aid got released and he didn't commit to an investigation.
2: Mr. I was not wrong about what I told you, which is what I heard. That's all I've said. I've told you what I heard. And that's the point.
3: What you heard did not happen. It didn't happen. You had three meetings with the guy. He could have told you. He didn't announce he was going to do an investigation before the aid happened. It's not just could it have been wrong. The fact is it was wrong because it didn't happen. The whole point was you had a clear understanding that aid will not get released unless there's a commitment. Not maybe, not I think the aid might happen and it's my hunch it's going to get released. You use clear language, clear understanding and commitment. And those two things didn't happen. So you had to be wrong. Mr. Jordan, the other thing that went on when that when that assistance was on
2: hold is we shook the confidence of a of a close partner in our reliability. And that
3: that's not what this proceeding is about, Ambassador Jones, that's, that's not what like, this whole thing t- started. T- i
1: we shook the confidence of an ally. That's really scary when you're in the State Department. I mean, come on, shook the confidence of an ally. Hmm. You know what shakes the confidence of an ally more? When the Obama administration presides over the greatest. You know, the, while Obama's in office, you have the most aggressive and expansionistic Russia since the fall of the Soviet Union, my friends. That seems to get left out of this discussion somehow. What well, Crimea? When did? When did, when did these things happen again? When when, when did all, when did the invasion of Ukraine occur? And when did the Crimea uh, false referendum happen so that Russia could just pick it off? Oh, yeah, that's right. It's the Obama administration. And, and when there were Ukrainians who were uh, getting slaughtered on the front lines, thousands of them, trying to fight back against a Russian incursion, what did the Obama administration do again? Oh, that's right. Sent them uh, blankets and MREs. That was really something when Russian-backed separatists shot a civilian jetliner out of the sky, killing, by the way, a large number. I mean, everybody lost there was a tragedy, but also killing a large number of globally renowned AIDS researchers. So who knows what the long-term implications of that, how many lives are affected by that uh, case of mistaken surface-to-air missile identity. Uh, What did the Obama administration do? Oh, That's right. A lot of just a lot of just yammering about nothing. Oh, there's such strong partners for Ukraine. they are such strong partners that Trump came along and he's like, oh, let's actually give them the missiles so that the Russian armor can't just overrun Ukrainian fighting positions and keep pushing the line of control deeper and deeper into Ukrainian territory. And there's no there's no debate about this, by the way. There, there's no argument about whether or not this happened in fact just just to be very very sure to be very clear here's again ambassador taylor getting asked by jim jordan lethal aid who, who was a yay and who was a nay which president was down for it and which president wasn't please play 10.
2: during the 2014 to 2016 period i was serving outside of government and joined two other former ambassadors to ukraine in urging the obama administration officials at the state Department. Defense Department and other agencies to provide lethal defensive weapons to Ukraine in order to deter further Russian aggression. I also supported much stronger sanctions on Russia. I was pleased when the Trump administration provided Javelin anti-tank missiles and enacted stronger sanctions.
1: Oh, so the Trump administration, which remember. Same media that tells you that Trump is Im- should be impeached and crimes and mis- high crimes and misdemeanors, such a bad guy. Uh, well, let's just make sure that we have the record straight here. Trump, who they say, the same media says, is Putin's puppet. He comes into office and takes more dramatic and meaningful action against Russia than Obama did. And Obama was the one who, by the way, was the leader of the free world when Ukraine is getting carved up and Crimea is... Seized through this uh Russian refer or this this phony Russian referendum not recognized by the international community, whatever that means. huh And yet Trump is the bad guy who should be kicked out of office because somebody heard a thing from a person who thinks that Trump created a quid pro quo except there was no quid and there was no. Quo, Trump did not do the thing he said he would do if the Ukrainians did not do the thing that they were supposed to do, which they didn't. What are we talking about? What is this? It's a sham. The whole thing is a sham. Driven by the fear of the Democratic Party that they might have to live under four more years of Trump. I mean, there are limits, I think to even how far their hysteria can go with, oh, Trump stole the 2020 election, too. You know, every election is stolen that they lose now. Yeah. This is the Stacey Abrams maneuver from uh, from Georgia, by the way. Just, just say that the other guy cheated. Just keep saying it. Do you have any proof? Nah. Just say they cheated, though, because that's really good for democracy and that's really good for bringing us together about serious political issues. It's just... Uh, look, yesterday was a... A belly flop for the Democrats. No question about it. It was just, I'm going to try not, I'm not going to say it. Nothing burger. We got it. We got to get nothing burger out of the language. It's not a, what does it even mean? It was nothing. How about just that? It was a waste of everybody's time for no real purpose other than the catharsis that Democrats get from just, just pretending that Trump should no longer be the president of the United States. It was a debacle, my friends—an utter debacle—and today I don't think will be very different. But there are some other areas here that I would like to get to,
2: Mr. Robin, What, what I can do um, here for you today is tell you what I heard from people, and in this case, it was what I heard from Ambassador Sondland.
4: So, the
1: the, the biggest witnesses—remember—they had to—they tried to come out with a bang. Although Yovanovitch is going to testify today, and. You know, maybe she'll maybe she'll, you know, I don't know, get into hysterics. But all
4: oh, the Ukrainians, we abandoned them. I mean, we didn't. And Trump was actually a better friend of them than Obama. But like, oh, my God.
1: Here's another. Let me tell you a little truth about the State Department. And I, I have some good friends who work there, but they would admit privately that what I say about the State Department is. All true. <laughs> so just a question of am I. Is it a little bit less bad at some of the things that I say it's bad that it is? I mean, you could argue that maybe, but uh, the State Department is full of a lot of people who the issue they're working is the most important thing in the world. You know, if, if somebody is trying to figure out a, uh, you know, h- how we get a improved literacy program through the State Department for the island of, you know, Vanuatu or something. It, that the people working on that program in the state department let me tell you there you know if it's if it's getting new drapes for the uh, for the embassy in Belgium that the, the people working on that at the state department man we need those we need those drapes for the embassy the future of the country depends on i mean i'm exaggerating but not that much this is certainly true of any foreign policy issue that is coming to the forefront right now on on Ukraine i mean Ukraine is yeah it's a U.S. ally, and it's a thing that we should pay attention to. But does anyone ever stop asking me how much are we really supposed to care about Ukraine? I I just does that a, are we allowed to ask the question? I mean, I wish them well. I have Ukrainian friends. Great country, lovely people. We're helping them out. We put some sanctions. Okay, this is not you know the, the world doesn't really rest on the balance of every conversation. That President Trump has with President Zelensky of Ukraine. In fact, really what needs to happen is the Ukrainians and the Russians need to kind of figure this out. But, you know, we are we are told that this is an issue that we all must be focused in on, that it's more important than the economy in this country securing our border, uh, ending endless wars, all these different areas of of the Trump administration, that you know, getting rid of regulation. By the way, there's a fascinating chart that I saw that showed business regulation by state. No surprise: the bluer a state, the more regulations. It's it's like a, almost like a perfect. Mo- the more you've got blue in a state, the more regulations you have. All of that, though, is secondary to Ukraine. We must do everything for Ukraine. Maybe not. We thought that Mukulis Lucheski had stolen money. We thought a prosecutor had taken a bribe to shut the case, and those were our main concerns. And. Are you in favor of that matter being fully investigated and prosecuted? I think since U.S. taxpayer dollars are wasted, I would love to see the Ukrainian prosecutor general's office find who the corrupt prosecutor was that took the bribe and how much it was paid. And that's what I said to the deputy prosecutor general on February 3rd, 2015. So they had George Kent, the other bureaucrat, the, the bow-tied one who is telling us that, yeah, Burisma, the prosecutor, there was really corrupt stuff going on there. In fact, Ukraine is, based on some of the assessments I've seen, one of the most corrupt countries in the world. So why would it be so strange, given that our aid policy to Ukraine was contingent? Oh, that's a quid pro quo. Isn't it a contingency, a quid pro quo? You do this or else. But we already had contingencies about the need for reform, for change in Ukraine because of the corruption. And keep in mind that the corruption also ties very much into concerns about Russian influence. What is the best way, if you're the Russian government, what is the best way to get a pro-Russian sentiment going or to, to get the policies that you want enacted? Buy off politicians, buy off prosecutors. I mean, that's the most effective way. Sure, you can have paramilitaries in uh, in the Donbas region of eastern Ukraine who are seizing territory and pretending they're an indigenous, uh, an indigenous separatist force when really it's all just being bankrolled by Moscow. And you've got Spetsnaz who are pretending to be Ukrainian. It's complicated though, because in Donbas region, guess what? You have a lot of Ukrainians who are Russian speakers. First language is Russian. Then they learn Ukrainian because the state tells them that they should. The western part of Ukraine tends to be the more westernized cosmopolitan, if you will. But the eastern part of the Donbass is where the money is. It's where the mines are. It's where the factories are. It's where the industrial heartland that subsidizes the rest of the country. So there is this tension going on there. But if you want a more pro-Russian tilt, what's the best way that you can do it? If you're Putin or if you're any of Putin's henchmen and just pay off people who are in charge of rooting out corruption to make sure that then you can pay off the people as the corruption. right? I mean, that's this is a. So why would it then be off limits for the president of the United States, given that. Given that long established history of corruption in Ukraine, why can't the president say, hey, to his counterpart who has come into office, Zelensky of Ukraine comes into office as a reformer who's going to. He's a swamp drainer. Zelensky is supposed to drain the swamp. Why is it then wrong for the president of the United States to say to him, hey, how's that coming along? And what serious human being really believes that paying off Hunter Biden to put him on the board of an incredibly corrupt company in a very corrupt country was on the was on the up and up? You see, this is where I depart from many of my even pro Trump or reasonably pro Trump colleagues in the media. I I, I'm sorry, you know, if, for example, uh there had been a decision made by the Trump administration when it came into office to look at the non uh, prosecution decision of Hillary Clinton who broke the law, they're allowed to do that. Now you could say that that would be bad for the country. It would be too much of a it would be dividing us too much, whatever it may be. They're a lot, they're, they are legally within their rights to do exactly that. So what then becomes the issue? One of discretion and one of judgment, one of politics, really. But there was no, there was no criminal statute. There was no uh, l- legal barrier, unless you're going to say the statute of limitations had passed, but I don't think it had when Trump came into office, uh, for Hillary Clinton to be charged, but she wasn't charged. There is also... No specific legal barrier to, hey, do you know what's going on with with this Biden guy and his son in eastern Ukraine? Let me know. That's the way it is. Folks, they started an investigation of Trump using FISA warrants when he was running for president. Democrats, the DNC funded a project. That project was used by Democrats within the government and in the media. To get FISA warrants against Carter Page to open an FBI investigation based on George Papadopoulos, like, you know, saying a couple things in a bar, allegedly. Uh, I'm sorry, there's, was there no special Trump immunity? There is apparently special Joe Biden and Hunter Biden immunity. We just don't know about it. Trump was allowed to make that ask. That it is politically sensitive does it matter to the law? Trump is allowed to make... They're trying to say it's bribery, it's extortion. He, he, he said, can you find out something about this for me? Zelensky could have come back the next day and said, yeah, man, we looked into it. There's really nothing there. Nothing happened. But, but first of all, that didn't even happen. I mean, Trump was speaking with a counterpart, a counterpart who never knew that the aid was even on on hold and under review, reviewing aid is something that administrations do all the time. Trump is being more helpful to Ukraine than Obama was. No question, no one can deny that. And you would think that cuz considering Obama was president while all this while Ukraine is being carved up, he might have had a little bit more of an impetus, but no, I mean Obama's Obama's real foreign policy was just well actually I can't even really describe what the organizing principle of his foreign policy was. I think it was just driven by what's going to get the the happiest responses in the comment section of the Huff Post, and the New York Times. That, that that's what I think was driving his foreign policy. I can't tell you what, you know. Don't do stupid stuff. That doesn't help all that much. But these are issues on which there's no disagreement yet. We're still here being told that Trump did something horrible, did something awful. What is the awful thing? Oh, now they're saying it's extortion. I'm I'm hoping that everybody remembers that there was talk of this as a campaign finance violation. Just. So we can see that they just keep readjusting the charge to try to fit the facts because they can't have the facts they need for the charge they want. It could not be any more clear what is going on here. But uh, investigating the Bidens, investigating what happened here with Burisma is legitimate. It is legitimate. I, I don't know how many times we have to. People can keep trying to say that it's not. But at the end of the day, the president, in his conduct of foreign policy, can speak to a foreign counterpart about issues of corruption that happen to touch on a bunch of Americans and a bunch of Americans that maybe are really important to the Democratic Party. Doesn't mean that they have immunity, folks. Maybe the Democrats should think a little bit more, think think long and hard about their reckless weaponization of investigation of, of the usage of the federal bureaucracy against their political opponents, which they do time and time and time again with no accountability and with really minimal pushback for most conservatives, most people on the right. All oh, the process is the process. Really? What about the abuse that Democrats have engaged in with the entirety of the Mueller probe? The abuse that Democrats engaged in. Day in and day out, claiming people like Adam Schiff, that there was information that would prove the president of the United States was a traitor, To his country, working on behalf of Russia, not just to win the election, but to win the election to be a Russian stooge. These people are out of their minds. Any accountability for this? No, in fact, the Democratic Party picked up a lot of seats and did well in the midterm election. What does that tell you? They think this is working. Even if it doesn't get the outcome they want, it slows down Trump. It forces this administration to play defense. Can you imagine what it would be like if we were really just listening to the president going around, making his pitch, talking about things like bringing down the the price of prescription drugs, which should absolutely happen, of building the wall, which I will get to. There's an update here later on uh, that we have to get to about that in the show. No, instead, it's the president trying to convince people of what of the fact that he's not a traitor, that he doesn't work for the Russians. I mean, this is so this is so stupid. It's beyond belief. You have an entire industry of national security experts who go on television and say crazy things that turn out to be provably false. And and really, they're they're maniacally wrong. Like they don't care. They still somehow believe that you know, something still happened there, even though nothing happened there. And they get promoted. They get book deals. They get put on fancy talk shows. There's just no accountability from whatsoever because the purpose is to advance the anti-Trump narrative. It's not to be right. It's not to be fair. It's not to be correct. And those are the organizing principles of this impeachment process. Anti-Trumpism, not truth, justice, fairness or anything else. The process. That's all a ruse. That's all a smokescreen. Here you have uh, Jim Jordan pointing. I mean, Jim Jordan was was en fuego yesterday. He really was doing a great job. Now, here he is on on a simple well four simple truths please play clip 18
3: this whole thing is a sad sad episode for the country but uh, like we said in the hearing today four facts will never change the uh, transcript speaks for itself there was no conditionality no quid pro quo in the transcript the two guys on the call have both been very clear no pressure no pushing no No linkage to investigations in uh, the both both uh, Presidents Linsky and President Trump have said. And of course, President Linsky didn't pledge to do any investigations prior to the aid being released. Uh, And the Ukrainians didn't know that the aid was even on hold at the time of the call.
1: Nothing happened. There was no harm. There was no victim. This is like a trial about a murder where nobody was murdered. Okay. well, what are we doing here? This is this is a you know, the the Seinfeld show is famously described as a show about nothing. But of course, it isn't really about nothing, but it's it's about nothing in particular. It's about Seinfeld. You know, it's about his uh, George and and Elaine and uh, uh, Kramer. Right. I mean, I'm I'm more of a friends guy. I know I hear the booing from all across the country, but I'm more of a friends guy. And even more than that, I'm a how I met your mother guy, but conversation for another time. Uh, this is an impeachment about nothing, meaning that the substance is, is irrelevant. It's all about the theatrics. It's all about the show. Oh, Trump, this is a serious, that's why Nancy Pelosi was like doing fake tears. Oh, we just, it's so serious, this impeaching of the president. We really didn't want to do it, but we have, we've known, I've been saying they're going to do it. You've been saying they're going to, we've known they're going to do this for years, for years. They have to show that they're repudiating Trump, because they can't say that Trump has failed. That's the problem. You know, it's it's stunning to see also the way that uh, the the media. We'll get more into some of the media stuff later, but the way the media just doubles down on on all of their nonsense. Um, they never learn the lesson, folks. They're never going to change. I really hope. I mean, I'm. I think people should cut cable and uh, start just going to people that they trust online, going to digital outlets. If you look, for example, I mean, now I'm basically doing a a free commercial for them, but I really do like the folks over at The Federalist. If you look at thefederalist.com and the analysis and claims that it has made throughout the Russia collusion slash now Ukraine fiasco and compare that, and I would put, you could also look at what I've said here. on. How many times have I had to come on the show and say to you, Guys, I really didn't see this coming. I'm sorry. It looks like I was really off on this one. Looks like there was, you know, looks like there was Russia collusion. Looks like the Trump Tower meeting is the the final blow to this administration. It's all, you know, I I just didn't see. Never. I come here. I'm like the other thing I told you. I was right, and you know I was right, and you were right, and that's why we hang out in here. My friends, at the Federalists, a lot of them, same thing. You know, a bunch of great writers over there. Compare them to. The lunatics at MSNBC and CNN and just name, you know, NBC, name a place. Oh, you know, the collusion any day now. Russia, 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 all this stuff. These people are ridiculous. I mean, they say absurd things. The former CIA director was getting paid by one of these networks to go on TV and say the president did something tantamount to treason. This is like what lunatics would say. No, everyone's fine with it, though. He's not, you know, he's not. Booter from TV. Call the president a traitor. You're fine. Say say anything. A little critical of uh, a 16 year old is being used by adults as an unassailable spokesperson for changing trillions of dollars of the economy, and you're a bad person, and you're not allowed to go on TV anymore. I mean, this is the world we're living in right now. I think we should
5: change it a little bit. Mr. Chairman, will you be prohibiting witnesses from answering members' questions as you have in the closed-door depositions?
2: Uh, as the general woman should know, if she was present for the deposition, Which
5: I was, Mr. For Chairman. For some of them,
2: yes. Correct. Uh, the, uh, the only times I prevented witnesses from answering questions, uh, along with our counsel, was when it was apparent that members were seeking to out the whistleblower. We will do everything necessary to protect the whistleblower's identity, uh, and I'm disturbed to hear members of the committee who have in the past voiced strong support for whistleblower protections seek to undermine those protections by outing the whistleblower. Mr. Mr. Chairman,
5: only one member and their staff staff on this committee has direct knowledge of the identity of the whistleblower.
2: We'll suspend. You asked a parliamentary inquiry, and I am responding. Or a point of order, I'm responding.
5: How can
1: Adam Schiff think about what he did here? And it should be terrifying to anybody that Adam Schiff was a federal prosecutor at one point and was making decisions about whose life to ruin and who to send to prison, which is what federal prosecutors do. You want somebody like Andy McCarthy in that role, a super smart, ethical, good person. You don't want someone like Adam Schiff in that role. But. Notice how he says he he will not commit to not blocking questions from Republicans. I hold, hold on a second. How can he know that by blocking questions, he's protecting the identity of the whistleblower when he doesn't know the identity of the whistleblower? As he told us yesterday in the hearing. How how does that work? How would he know if they're getting too close to the idea? Because they can ask people, who did you speak to about the phone call? Who did you speak to about Ukraine policy? How, How could Adam Schiff conceivably be protecting the whistleblower's identity if he doesn't even know who the whistleblower is? And by the way, I think we all know who the whistleblower is. This whole thing is a sham. <laughs> this is ridiculous. They just won't confirm it. You know why? Because if they confirm it, then people would be able to say, well, hold on a second. So this anti-Trump partisan who people were concerned about leaking from the NSC to undermine Trump, who was, you know, who had interactions with Biden clearly as a Bidenist, uh, that guy got this whole thing started. And we're supposed to believe this is in good faith and it's about protecting the Constitution and no, no, we're, we're not going to accept that. We're not going to believe the nonsense that the libs are trying to peddle here. But yesterday was quite a sight. Boring, but quite a sight nonetheless. Team, before we get into Elizabeth Warren and Bernie versus the billionaires and some other important matters of the day, um, I just wanted to note that we've all been told countless times at key moments in this whole drama, this saga that has been playing out with the Trump administration and the people that want the Trump administration gone. We we are told, we have been told repeatedly, continuously, that there are different individuals who we should not question. They are beyond reproach. And they'll put out this the sterling resume. And, you know, sometimes they'll leave some stuff off the resume, like as I did with, for example, James Comey, who... If you look at his history in the FBI, there's some very shady things. His history as a prosecutor. James Comey, he who wanted to imprison Martha Stewart because by claiming that she was innocent of a charge the government wanted to bring, she was propping up the stock price of her company and therefore was engaging in fraud. That's Comey logic for you. I didn't do it. Well, by claiming you didn't do it, you're making it harder for us to prosecute you. So I guess that's obstruction of justice. Hmm. That's what James Comey would have said, I'm sure. Wouldn't be really a stretch for him at all. But for a long time, we were told that Comey, if you go back, you do a little Google search, you'll see people were
4: crying when Comey was fired. Oh, my gosh. What will we do without that lanky weirdo wandering the hallways? What will we do?
1: exactly what they were doing the day before and the day after. It's fine. No one cared. Didn't matter. When I worked at the CIA. Let me tell you, nobody who wasn't in like the immediate vicinity of any CIA director would have been,
4: Oh my gosh, the CIA director is
1: gone. We're doing our jobs. Whatever. Directors come and go. They're appointees. Who cares? Who cares? The rank, the rank and file. You have these reporters, they have like two friends in the FBI at the New York times and then asked him. I'm sure one of them is the you know pajama boy guy over at uh, CNN, and you know you, he's the one that's always on TV. You know, it's like hey, like, yeah. well, that's bright. I gotta get a new, I gotta get a voice for him. I haven't heard him enough. Um, anyway, I'm sure people I know who are career FBI are not thrilled that that guy is their uh, is is their symbol on on TV more than any other FBI guy these days. But we've been told this about all these different figures. Mueller was like the Mueller was like a superhero. Oh, man, you hear about what a what a badass he was serving his country. And he's a prosecutor's prosecutor, an FBI man. You know, he's a law man. The whole. Oh, man, he was amazing. If you challenged Mueller. You were a bad person. You were un-American. Let him conduct his work. And then we saw Mueller get up to give testimony about. His investigation, allegedly his investigation, that could have ended a presidency, and it was, I don't, you know, I didn't see that, and I didn't see this, and you know, I don't remember, and uh, you know. it's like Mr. Magoo stuff up there. We were like, whoa! And that was when the whole, Boof, the whole collapse, right? They had created the laugh, the media. They created this whole edifice of the greatness of the Mueller investigation and how Mueller was beyond reproach, a true lawman. And then we heard it you know, kind of stuttering and didn't really know what was going on. Hey, I don't remember that and I don't remember this and what's going on here and there. And uh, It was not impressive at all, which everyone knew. It was a disaster for the I mean, essentially the whole Mueller probe push collapsed in one testimony. We're like, okay, this is this is what they've got, this guy. So they realized they they can't let the lies be tested. They can't let the figures they build up. Be subjected to real scrutiny. And as I've said, yeah, the reason we have the contested procedures in court that we do is to try to get to the truth. And if you have people who can just make whatever claim they want or if they can just make anonymous claims and they're never tested, no one's ever cross-examined about this, you'll not get the truth. You'll get whatever that person wanted to present you. Weissman. People like me. Conservatives in the media had been saying for a long time that Andrew Weissman, Mueller's pit bull, they said, he would get his man. Weissman, uh, we were told, or rather many of us were saying because we knew all along, this guy is a left wing hack who is doing the work of the DNC via the Mueller probe. And the entire plan to just dirty up Trump with this, let's release the 10 possible counts of obstruction. We weren't allowed to come to a real decision about obstruction because of the DOJ memo. So we'll decide to not decide, even though they could have said, yeah, we would charge him, but we can't. But they wouldn't do that because if they said we would charge them, they would have to lay out what the charges are. Notice a pattern here, my friends. What is the charge against Trump right now for Ukraine? Oh, uh, that keeps changing. Uh, it's uh, abuse of power, bribery, quid pro quo, something, something, blah, blah, constitution. I mean, they're just, they don't know. They don't know. And that's a big problem for them. But they also know that if they went with one and then that one didn't stick, then they couldn't prove it, they've got an issue, right? That's why Weissman, just by throwing out these things, it was basically a way to say, okay, Anti-Trump commentariat, take these 10 acts of obstruction, none of which were really obstruction, by the way, but take these 10 acts of obstruction and just and claim that they could have been proven, but we weren't allowed to prove them. It was a dirty, underhanded, unethical move from Weissman, but we should have expected that, right? The media covered for this guy as much as they could because he's a, I mean, he's a truly anti-Trump guy. We knew that. Guess what happened yesterday? Guess what was announced yesterday? Mueller's pit bull, Andrew Weissman has shown up as a paid commentator at none other than crazy MSNBC play clip one, please. I think
3: that, uh,
1: ambassador
0: Taylor, Hitting the theme of that there was a official and unofficial way that policy was being done, I think would, I think for a citizen to set off some alarms. Because that's obviously um, shady. Yeah. I mean, true. To raise, it raises questions about, okay, so for the unofficial way, the next question you have is why and what were you we trying to seek?
3: And do you think people get at a gut level, we are actually talking about these enormous powers that we give to the United States federal government. I mean, this is a State Department story. It could easily be a Pentagon story. Oh, mm-hmm. Ship those bombs. Don't take the general's orders. Uh, take my my lawyer, my friend's o- or orders. I mean, this is yeah. kind of scary. It. It is. And it's also not that complicated.
0: I mean, this is Mm. if you want 400 million dollars, that is actually that's 400 million reasons to do what I'm about to tell you um, and or the favor that I want. Um, If you want that. And by the way, the reason which came out loud and clear today is the reason that you want it is because it is actually going to save lives.
1: It's going to save lives. Let's just hone on that for a second. Why didn't Obama want to save those lives? Because he didn't, because he wouldn't give them the missiles they needed to defend themselves. Could Obama have been impeached for that? No. Criticized for it, yes. You don't impeach him for his bad judgment as commander-in-chief on an issue like that. You have an election. This is not, there's not a transgression here worthy of the punishment of impeachment. Uh, but notice how they, they just skip past this, and it always becomes, well... Trump you know tr- Trump costs lives I saw I mean Alyssa Milano who is who is an idiot I mean I've talked to her she's uh, a a very sanctimonious ill-read ill-educated super lib who doesn't know a damn thing about anything other than when her dog almost peed on my foot during the interview but that's a whole other conversation um it was a little chihuahua a little ancient little chihuahua not quite as fierce as the carpet shark dachshund that tried to rip off my face that one time. But maybe that's a story I'll have to tell you another day. Uh, but you know, she's saying that lives have lives were lost here. This is any hyperbole, any exaggeration. It's all acceptable when it comes to finding a way to say that Trump is the worst person ever. Lives were lost. Lives were not lost here because of Trump's decision. The money went out. The aid continued on. <clears throat> But more than that, I, I just have to note, OK, so the guy who was supposed to be trusted to be an officer of the court of the Department of Justice, even. Somebody who had an enormous budget and total latitude to go after the president and all of his advisors, family members, everybody, Weissman, who we know is really the one running the Mueller investigation. Mueller was a figurehead. Mueller was a front, a facade. To be the one that you you couldn't criticize him. Meanwhile, over here, Weissman's the one who's doing all the anti-Trump stuff behind the scenes. And now we see that what does Weissman do as soon as that's all done? No, Gets a contract at MSNBC. What do Clapper and Brennan and these other guys do after they've tried to take down Trump? Try to get the whole government apparatus to be weaponized against an incoming president? Oh, they go to, you know, they go to their buddies, they go to Jake Tapper over at CNN, they go to these these lying, fake news clowns. And they welcome them with open arms. You want to talk about the swamp? People have always gotten so concerned about the rotation of people from Capitol Hill into into lobbying roles. And, oh, you're a congressman, now you're a lobbyist. And it's all so gross. And what about the rotation of. I'm going to go from being a senior government official in a nonpartisan role, mind you, allegedly, like CIA director, NSA director, whatever it may be, FBI director. I'm going to go from that to being a rabid anti-Trump partisan on TV right away. We're supposed to think that this isn't going to affect our perception of decisions made at these agencies and by these institutions going forward. We knew Weissman was what he is. We knew that he was a left wing. uh, They call him the pit bull. I mean, he was an attack dog against the Trump administration. He was doing the dirty work of the left and doing it under, under the under the color of law, doing it as though this was the right thing to do, which makes it even worse. Daniel Goldman, the lawyer that they have chosen for this process. Uh, He has been a a frequent guest on conspiracy, Russia conspiracy TV, known as MSNBC and NBC. I see a tweet here from him back in 2018. Julia Yaffe, who has been fired once or twice for saying completely horrific and insane things, by the way, uh, about the president's family. Julia Yoffe is, I have to say, I feel less safe as a journalist in America these days than I ever did in Russia. A lot less safe. It's a stupid thing to write. It's a stupid thing to say. I mean, you know, you could feel less safe walking out your front door than somebody who's on the front lines of a war zone. doesn't mean that that's rational. means that you've got a problem. Journalism in America is not a dangerous job at all, period, full stop. There are dozens of jobs, dozens of jobs that are considerably more dangerous than... Journalism is not a dangerous job. Journalists all like to pretend, oh, we're so... In Russia it can be a dangerous job. Journalists get killed. They disappear. So it's just a dumb thing to say. Daniel Goldman, the lawyer who's presenting the Democrats case in this whole impeachment farce, responded to Julia Yoffe's tweet from one of the best journalists on Russia who has spent a lot of time there. Important. Essentially echoing that, yeah, journalists should feel less safe in America than they do in Russia a moronic statement that is not backed up by any statistic i know the statistics in fact the Committee to protect journalists reached out to me it was great because they're like you know we really didn't we really didn't approve of you using our statistics in a piece you wrote about how journalism isn't dangerous i'm like well i don't care that you don't like that i pointed out that journalists in america are a shockingly safe and a shockingly safe profession uh, more more people are dying Doing, uh, you know, air conditioning repair on a regular basis than journalists. I mean, a lot more. Right. This is crazy. But journalists like to have this. Oh, oh. They're, they're a, uh, journalists are generally an insecure and, a, and highly emotional bunch. And of course, libs too. So you add all that together. But this Daniel Goldman guy, another, you know, this guy's. it's we've completely blurred the lines now. They, these people that we keep getting told are nonpartisan or experts, or whatever they are, crazy partisans. We're always right when we say it. It's never a surprise, and the media just keeps marching along with the lies. It's... Uh it's quite a thing, my friends.
2: We have to be able to come together as a caucus. And if it is this Ukrainian allegation that is what brings the caucus together, um, then I think we have to run with however we unify the House. And so while I believe personally that we should be pursuing and, invest- and investigating quite fragrant, fragrant, flagrant abuses of the emoluments clause um,
1: even reporting as recently as as may, as these suspicious stops at Trump properties, even in um, congressional delegations or rather in um, foreign trips. I think
5: that all of this is, is game for investigation. But we also need to move quite quickly because we're talking about the potential compromise of the 2020 elections. And so this is not just about
1: something that has occurred. This is about preventing a potentially disastrous outcome from
2: occurring next year.
1: They're already laying the groundwork. I told you. They're going to start to say, and this is for base turnout. I mean, think of all the different ways that this benefits them. They're going to start to say, oh, the 2020 election, problem's there too. Oh, Republican, can't trust the Republicans on 2020. Uh Uh-uh. No. Oh. Based on what? This uh, phone call that led to nothing with President Trump? They're going to say, and notice how uh, there are so many ways that you could look at the Democrat Party's effort right now to undermine the Trump administration that and, and every single one of them just goes to show you that they have not yet accepted what happened in 2016. It's as though there's a block in their mind. Um, and they also haven't accepted that we've been through all of this as a country where they get to make their case about how there was Russia collusion, everything else. But Ocasio-Cortez also reminds us that the impeachment of Trump is really about uniting the factions of the Democratic Party. This is all a a, an obvious, a blatant political exercise. And there is a dishonesty that is at the heart of all of us, not just that they shouldn't be impeaching the president, but that they're pretending that we don't all know what's going on here. Even Democrats know that they're that impeaching Trump is about what's good for the Democratic Party politically. They, They understand every adult, every sentient human being really understands at some level why they're doing this, that they were going to do this, that this isn't based in some big revelation that came out of nowhere. We all have to play along with the ruse. I'm getting tired of playing along with the ruse. Uh, I know it's going to be tiresome and that's actually a, a concern I have. I mean look, on this show, the good news is there's so much that I want to talk to you about that has nothing to do with impeachment that at any point in time we can just switch it up and say, all right, let's talk about some other stuff here because they're going to. this is going to grind on. I mean, the impeachment of Bill Clinton, I think, took about four months in total. Um, I think it was something like maybe started either October, November 98, and then it was finished by uh, February of 1999. Uh, This is going to be a problem for the Democrats because Mitch McConnell, I hope, I hope Cocaine Mitch decides that he's going to make them pay for their insolence, with this nonsense and make sure that there are a lot of Democrat senators who are all I mean, basically all the top candidates, except for Judge are senators who are going to have to be shown up to the Senate trial instead of on the campaign trail at key moments in the presidential primary. I hope I hope Mitch McConnell makes them pay the price. That uh, cocaine Mitch says. Say hello to my little friend. I, I hope that he make sure that they're not going to get away with this action in this way. But we'll have to see. We'll have to see.
5: I have constitutional responsibilities. Uh, I took an oath of office, as did everyone in Congress. And part of that oath of office is the basic principle that no one is above the law. That includes the president of the United States. And if the House goes forward and sends an impeachment over to the Senate, then I will be there for the trial.
1: Well, I'll just make sure that nobody's above the law. She'll be there. Elizabeth Warren's going to be there. It's going to be great. It's going to be, oh, yeah, fantastic. Elizabeth Warren is dialing up the class warfare rhetoric. Here's what I think her her play is, if I may. Here's what I think Elizabeth Warren uh, might be able to do she knows that if she gets the bernie support behind her then all of a sudden if if all of Bernie's supporters were to go for warren she'd be the front runner no question about it so how does she just continue to present herself as the more viable version in the general election of what bernie presents and class warfare is a big part of the pitch she's going after these going after these billionaires i think it was um i actually i don't want to say because i'm forgetting but there was a a blue check i think it was a senior former clinton administration official who had this thing about how to become a billionaire in this country you have to do and it was a list of five things you know inherit wealth insider trading steal from people you know have a monopoly it was basically like you're you're cheating in some way or you just got you know accident of birth super lucky um but uh know yeah. the truth is that a lot of billionaires actually have created products or services or systems that have changed the world that we all live in and uh, the truth is that Elizabeth Warren trying to speak ill of billionaires in this way is just cheap theatrics uh, but here's what she ends up saying play play here's here's her talking about how the billionaires are winners play clip 20
5: I've noticed that billionaires go on TV and cry, Uh, other billionaires encourage their billionaire buddies to jump into the race. I believe that what our election should be about is grassroots, how you build something all across New Hampshire, all across the country, and that we really shouldn't have elections that are about billionaires calling all the shots whether they're reaching in their pockets to fund their own elections or whether they're counting on uh uh, getting other people to run
1: look at that she manages to add the class warfare side of her uh campaign or her approach not just as a as a general oh you know soak the rich thing but also as a way to take a swipe at Tom Steyer, who is who is nuts. I mean, the fact that that guy became a billionaire, I will say, is uh, is stunning to me. But he he is a billionaire. Um, Mike Bloomberg, who wow, he's had a pretty disastrous early rollout of his campaign, if we're calling it that. Turns out that he said some very bad stuff about women back in the day. The New York Times had a story on that very fast, almost like. The New York Times was keeping that one on the shelf. It was a uh, what in baseball producer mark is it a is it a brushback pitch when you uh when you throw right?
6: when you throw high in, and inside? Is that
1: right? That's yeah. a brushback. Brushback, yeah. 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 New York Times, that was a brushback pitch to just be like, step away, Bloomberg. No third no third party, no nothing. You know, we trust me, they got a lot of, they got more on him too. That's one thing if he's gonna be mayor of New York, another thing if he wants to play in the big leagues and and run for president. So Bloomberg has already had to put out an official apology. The guy's been in the race for like two days. Um, So there is, so there is that. Uh, What is uh, Elizabeth Warren's proposal for billionaires, by the way? If you look at it over time, it would dramatically erode the wealth of people who are billionaires such that uh, some of these people would end up with 70% taxation of their entire, uh, of their, Net worth overall would be would be about 70 percent over time. I mean, the near the Wall, Wall Street Journal did an analysis of it yesterday. Uh, one of the things about the countries that have big and booming economies is that they do have very, very wealthy folks in them. right? I, I, I would prefer and, and ultimately there is something of a philosophical debate here, but I, I don't want to live in Sweden. I want to live in America. I, I like that there are people here who become ultra wealthy. Do they have too much influence? Yes. But. Is there a tremendous amount of benefit that other people gather uh, or other people get themselves from, you know, the, the Walton family, billionaires because of Walmart, right? Do a lot of people benefit from Walmart as a company? Not just employees, but also the products that they provide and the money that people have left over because of the very low prices of those products, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, all of this is pushed aside. All of this is is pushed uh, into Nothingness by Elizabeth Warren, who's going around acting like if we could only get the billionaires out of politics, then everything would be so much better. But what about the billionaires who own media organizations? Jeff Bezos, good billionaire. Tom Steyer, good billionaire. I'm not. Now she did take a little bit of a, a swipe at Steyer by talking about how he's funding his own campaign. But this anti-billionaire stuff is just—it's boring. It's transparent. It's obvious. And that's why when they came out with uh, this mug, this mug that Elizabeth Warren's campaign has, Billionaire Tears. Uh, billionaire Tears. It's the Warren campaign selling mugs for $25. And they're selling these mugs for twenty $25 from Shopify, which is owned by a guy who's a Canadian, Toby Lutka, who is a Canadian CEO and billionaire. So this guy, a company owned by a billionaire, is where you're going to buy the mugs, which, of course, there's some revenue share, I'm sure, but buy mugs of billionaire tears from the Elizabeth Warren campaign. Why, would, why do we want billionaires to be crying, exactly? Who does, who does that benefit What do we really think is going to happen here? You can't fund Medicare for all just by taxing billionaires. You can't do it. It won't work. You can't uh, do all the programs that Elizabeth Warren is proposing. It won't work. And so then you have have to ask yourself, huh, what really is this all about? It's envy. Envy is powerful politics. Elizabeth Warren believes in the politics of envy, because she knows that for a lot of people, especially a lot of libs, a lot of Democrats, that make it makes them feel better. To think that the reason that things aren't the way they want them to be in this country is because of these po- these powerful external forces of all these billionaires, even though a lot of left wing victories have come as a result, political victories, a lot of their a lot of their the help they get from the media. It's from liberal billionaires. Uh, there, there's no shortage of those, but it still it create this this boogeyman of the of the American billionaire that this is so central to Elizabeth Warren's campaign does remind us all that ultimately there, there is a a major socialist impulse at work here. Ultimately, there's something more than just um, a conversation to be had about whether or not we should be spending Double our, you know, double what we are right now by 2050 on healthcare, which is what some of the projections would be. You know, that is that a good idea? Uh, well, no. And and can billionaires fund this? The answer is, of course, billionaires cannot fund this all themselves. Um, I I would like to see some billionaires do some great things. I would like some of these conservative billionaires to actually fund conservative culture pro uh, projects. Like, uh, how about how about a a Netflix that just skews traditional and conservative. You know, it doesn't have to be. I'm not talking about. It has to be all you know stories from the Bible or something. But that'd be cool too. But how about that? No, billionaires. They love to give money to you know, a bunch of think tanks. A lot of that stuff going on. I, I do wish that there'd be a change there because we're we're losing in the cultural battle in a lot of ways. We still lose in entertainment media overwhelmingly. We're crushed. We're still losing on college campuses academia and it hasn't been around that long we think of we think of uh, what the situation is today without understanding that a lot of kids the, the campuses are getting more radical and there are fewer and fewer conservatives on these campuses who are open about it and so what does that mean for the future what does that mean for the future I, you know nobody really seems to be able to come up with an answer to that other than perhaps they'll just be further left-wing dominance in our politics so uh, but Warren wants you to drink billionaire tears. Wants you to pay twenty five dollars though for a mug that probably cost about uh, two dollars to make, and it's probably made in China, by the way, would be my guess. Um, but this is the uh, Warren campaign, and also it's not even particularly clever. I, you know, billionaire billionaire tears. Uh, what was his name? The investor, very well known. I think it was was it uh, uh, Cooperman. Um, Did not like Elizabeth Warren's comments at all and said he had given more blanking money in one year to charity than she has in her whole life. So some people aren't just taking this slide down. This is not encouraging. I don't have a way to sweet talk us through this one. I I don't have a way to say that this is all going to be just fine. Uh, Homeland Security here, according to The Washington Times, has confirmed that there is no new border wall yet i don't have to remind you all build the wall build the wall was i don't know maybe a bigger chant than lock her up at the rallies it was close it was one or the other um i think that lock her up was mostly was mostly said in jest although for some people it probably wasn't uh, build the wall was supposed to be a serious policy idea or or rather a promise that would be kept And it has not been kept. And my friends, Republicans had the House, had the Senate. There were opportunities here. Why was this not a promise kept? I do. I think it is it is fair to ask the question. Um, Because now we have 78 miles of upgraded fence built, and that does help. I know that I've seen it. The upgraded fencing is superior to what was there before I mean what's there before if you go to the San Diego border sector you go up there's like a five or six no, maybe like a six or seven foot fence that you just go up to it and just go whoop and climb over it and the double layer fencing separated with with uh with plating at the top to make it even harder to use grappling hooks or ladders uh you know it's separated by a kind of no man's land it's gonna take you a solid you know seven you know 75 seconds 90 seconds to get across that even if you have equipment with you and that can be the difference between get that's the difference in getting caught and not the the little six foot high fence is like that's a that's a, a three second slowdown, if that so we look at this now and we say all right we have upgraded fence when are we going to have new fence Now, on the positive side of this equation or on the like, I can tell you there's at least some reason for optimism here. Um, The new fence is supposed to start getting built because of the movement of funds that President Trump did within the Pentagon budget by claiming a national emergency. And they're going to set up webcams at the border, they say, to show The fence being built. I think that's very important. New fence under the Declaration of National Emergency Appropriation of Funds. New fence being built. And and I also would note that one of the reasons why I think that they don't cover... Because yesterday I talked to you about how the cartels are making these opioid pills so that they look like pharmaceutical-grade pills. Um. They're making these pills, flooding them into the United States, and they're killing lots and lots of people. One of the reasons why I think that there's less of an interest in what is clearly one of the biggest stories going on in the country at any given time is because it lends credibility. It it, it supports, it provides evidentiary basis for the claim that there is a national emergency going on at our southern border. There isn't. That, that's a real thing. And I would just note that the media is very invested in making sure that that's considered a power grab by trump how How dare he declare the national emergency of the border? How dare he do these things? Well, if it really is going to save thousands and thousands of lives and he's a commander in chief and he's going to just be having the Army Corps of Engineers build some fencing using budget uh, using money that the federal government already has well, is that that's an abuse of power that's that's what the the plan is going to be to say so I do think. I do think that um building the fence needs to happen. Because that is the one place or the wall, whatever we're gonna call it, that is the one place where the administration on promises kept. It's vulnerable, folks. I mean I, I have to say what it is. I can't I can't pretend that there has been wall built when there has not been wall built. I can't pretend that the fence is, you know. Going up in places where it's not. And I do believe that the Trump administration doesn't have. Yeah, there have been efforts. The Democrats have said you can't do this. You can't do that. But this should have been from day one. We're going in. We're finding a way to do this. Shouldn't be that hard to get done. There have been much more complicated public works projects in the past in this country. And the president made a promise. He was elected to keep that promise among others. And I'm not willing to just sit back and say, "Oh, you know, whatever. It's not a big deal. Not a big deal." By the way, I did uh, end up watching. I guess I'm on C- episode three of Jack Ryan now on, on Amazon. I'm not gonna make it. I'm not gonna make it through this season, man. It's just, it's just not good. And I, I wish I could sit down with the screenwriters and just ask them some questions about choices they've made. Um, I would love to be able to get an explanation as to why given what's going on in Venezuela, they have to make it so clear that the bad guy in Venezuela is right wing and the bad leader in Venezuela is right wing and the here the heroine is a like left-wing social justice warrior. It's like Ocasio Cortez is going to be the president of Venezuela. They they really just can't help themselves by by inject not just injecting their politics into it, but they have to shift reality unnecessarily as part of a prop ah it's just so annoying plus that the words they use a lot of time are wrong you know i don't know maybe maybe they should talk to a former cia analyst if they're going to do a show about cia analysts i'm just it's just an idea i'm just putting it out there
2: special treat for you all today team
1: i'll make it happen we have uh donald trump jr uh, joining us now he is of course the president's son he's also now, not just an author, but number one New York Times best-selling author of his new book, Triggered. Uh, Don, thanks so much for joining, and uh, congrats, by the way, on the big number one New York Times. That's awesome.
0: Thank you very much, man. No, it's uh, it's been pretty cool.
1: So tell me, what, what do you want people to take from this book? I mean, anybody who follows you on Twitter or social media or sees you on TV has some idea where you stand on the issues, but what do, what do they get from Triggered that they need to know going into this 2020 pivotal re-election year?
0: Well, you know, I think they get a lot of insight into the family. I mean, you know, I can do a lot on Twitter. Uh, I've gotten pretty good at making a point in 280 characters or less, but, you know, having 200, 300 pages to do it, I think you get to see a lot more of the storyline, some of the narrative, uh, the things we've gone through, both you know, during sort of the incredible campaign, getting to be the tip of the spear of the greatest political upset in history, all the way to, you know, probably being, uh, you know, the, the first family member of a sitting president to be every you know, literally targeted, uh, you know, by the opposition, by the other side in the Mueller hoax, being the number two target of that after my father. And, you know, some of the ups and downs, uh, you, you get to see sort of my childhood. Uh, and how, you know, I sort of, like I say I'm an unlikely conservative in where I'm from, right? I'm the son of a billionaire from New York City who went to an Ivy League school, doesn't produce a lot of conservatives. Um, but, you know, having a mother that escaped communism and, and the experience as a child of having grandparents that were active in our lives that brought me over there every summer. And I got to experience those, you know, breadlines that, you know, burning and others, you know, think are so wonderful. And I can assure you, having seen them firsthand, they're not. So it's a little bit of everything. I spent quite a bit of time, obviously, talking about the hypocrisy uh, that it, you know, conservatives face in the mainstream media, but also the censorship side of the social media platforms, uh, which are becoming such a big thing and going to be such a major influence uh, in the 2020 election. So, uh, you know, it, it's a pretty full gamut.
1: Which of the media outlets do you think has been? You know, one of the things that your pre- that, that the president, your father, and and obviously this has been a part of the movement. Uh, one of the things I think has been the most refreshing at least from my perspective as somebody who will take on the media the bias the Mm -hmm. lies is there one outlet for you one platform that you think has been the most unfair to you personally or to your family
0: well, listen, I, you know, I, I think you could probably point to some pretty flagrant examples. You know, you know, in my case, you know, literally all of them. I mean, name, name one that wasn't out there basically saying that I was guilty of treason for two and a half years. And I was like, oh, you know, Mr. Mueller, have you even read the report that bears your name? Well, that's not within my purview. Um, uh, you know, so I mean. They'll all run with anything, and that's the reality of it. Is you know, the mainstream media today has decided and made the cognizant decision to be the marketing wing of the Democrat Party. There's not even a pretense of objectivity anymore. They've just given all of that up to push their generally speaking leftist narrative. And so, you know, the most recent example, the one that just strikes me and perhaps irks me the most, is sort of the Washington Post and the Al Baghdadi uh, incident. You know, when they can take. The founder and leader of ISIS, a man that has murdered and raped people, a, a man that has lit people on fire after dousing them in gasoline in cages, to make him into—and I quote—an austere religious scholar—shows you the level of you know, sickness uh, you know, in, in these people in their minds, and it, you know it really makes me wonder. You know, my father used to get a lot of help for saying like. You know, the mainstream media is the enemy of the people, but you start seeing some of the stuff that they do, the bias, and you start wondering, like, well, you know, man, I I can't imagine someone not wondering if that's, in fact, the case, because they they certainly don't seem to like America.
1: Now, Don, we've seen that there's unfairness in the way the Democrats are using the apparatus of the government to go after their political enemies. That's nothing surprising. Mm -hmm. That's been going on for quite some time. In fact, it even predates your father, although the president is... I think the single biggest target of these uh, machinations, but even knowledge of innocence is not necessarily enough, I would think, to make somebody not worry about being a target of the of these efforts. I mean, when the Mueller probe was coming after you, even though you knew that you weren't a traitor, you hadn't done anything wrong. Did you have some nights where there's some times you thought maybe they're going to try to take me down, even though there's no there there? Well, I mean,
0: I definitely thought that that was was their goal. I mean, you know, the reality is I sort of, you know, perhaps I I write in the book, it sort of took me 41 years to realize I was a lot more like my father than perhaps I had ever thought, you know, which is when you back us in the corner and when you force us to sort of, Fight, we will, and uh, we, we will fight hard. So, I mean, you know, I, I talk about sort of the stories of even my lawyers being like, "You can't be as aggressive on TV and on social." You know, when these guys are doing this, and you know, I'm like, "Listen, I don't, I don't care, man. Like, I'm, I'm not going to just give in to them. I'm not going to let my kids one day read about, you know, well, Donald, jo- you know, he he pled the fifth, and he was like, no way. Like, I'll take the contempt of Congress. I'll take the this. I'll do whatever you know, or I'll fight back. But I, I ain't doing that uh, because I just won't let them read about that. You know." someday in the future uh, about their father because that's the way that system works if you're on our side, which is even if it's the prudent legal move, uh, you can't do it because the soundbite will kill you. And so, you know, I didn't lose sleep over it because I knew what was right, uh, but I also probably have a little different response than, than most people do to that kind of stress. And I mean, yeah, there was no secret that literally half of Congress was out there saying that I committed treason, you know, a crime punishable by death. Now, They couldn't back that up. Only Adam Schiff apparently saw the evidence um, that he would say, you know, on air every night. Uh, No one else had seen it. I guess he forgot to turn it over to Robert Mueller. Um, But, you know, it it was pretty brutal. And you see that viciousness. And I think one of the points I make and triggered is, like, if they can do that to me, if they can do that and what they've done and continue to do to the sitting president of the United States, if the social media platforms can censor me and him and, you know, uh, shadow ban us and everything else that they're doing like who can't they do it to buck who aren't they already doing it to that you may not even you know know i mean and, and that's a scary notion i mean that's sort of i think it's a big part of why you got trump uh because other people feel that same way but it's i mean i think it really bodes well for us at 2020 understanding that we're up you know fighting a much larger uphill battle because they'll be trying to suppress him so much more and, and all of us uh, and, and the people who are supportive. Um, but it's also you, you watch the spectacle. And I I say spectacle, uh, you know, it, uh, very seriously because that's all it is at this point. I mean, you had a congressman yesterday saying that hearsay, you know, the, I heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend. Uh, hearsay is actually much better than actual evidence. Like, oh, well, that's only true if you have no actual evidence, which they don't. And yet they will continue to perpetuate Uh, these hoaxes to get what they want, which is to, you know, subvert the will of the people, reverse the 2016 election. And, you know, that's when the impeachment started. I mean, the impeachment started on November 9th, 2016, when my father beat the Chosen One and beat the establishment.
1: We're talking to Donald Trump Jr., author of the number one New York Times bestseller, Triggered, which is out in bookstores now, also available on Amazon. Uh, Don, are you surprised by some of the people Because, you know, I know that in the book you write about your personal experience, your life, and then obviously there must be a substantial focus on the last few years. Are you surprised by some of the people that at one time were very close to your father's presidency and perhaps close to him personally who have very openly and very clearly turned on him? Um, you know, I'm not surprised. Uh, my father
0: seemed, you know, actually ready for that. I mean, I I write in the book, I I sort of do a whole chapter on sort of, you know, the prelude to his announcement. Uh, and you know, we, we went through the thing as a family and yada, yada. And we're going, I remember going down in the elevator with him on, this was June, uh, 16th, 2015, the day he announced, uh, we sort of went down in the elevator. He got off in the lobby, went down to the escalator. We went down to go watch him, um, and he just looks me in the eye, and he just goes. And now we find out who our real friends are. And, and I mean, you know, truer words have not been spoken in life or politics. Uh, you know, he just had a really innate understanding for people, for human nature. If you do, the, you know, and say the things that you need to say to do what's right for this country and to get things done and to win, uh, you know, people are gonna they're gonna ostracize you. They're gonna run to the media. They're gonna go for that sort of leftist coverage. Uh, you know, you, you see that today, like the people who were Trump supporters, there was a couple out there that were big that, you know, hey, supported me. And then two days later, uh, they're turning on the president because, you know, well, they're from New York and they, they're they trying to raise a fund from, you know, New York City Democrats. And oh, that's not going so well as a Trump supporter. So we're going to flip and we're going to you, you see people's true human nature. And it's it's unfortunate that it's it's oftentimes very bad uh, it, to a point where it's sad. But what was cool about the moment when my father said that is. He recognized it, so it showed he really understood how the real world works. But more importantly, he knew how vicious it would be, and he did it anyway. He did it anyway because it was the right thing to do for America. It was the right thing to do for the people of this country who just want to live their American dream again uh, and had been failed so many times by politicians over and over, making promises, having no intention or, frankly, no ability to actually deliver on those promises because they just weren't competent uh, in anything other than being politicians, so, you know they had no business understanding, no sense, and yet they're making trillion-dollar decisions that our children and grandchildren will be beholden to. So uh, it, it was really cool to see that he knew how bad it was and was was willing to do it anyway, willing to take those hits because he didn't need this job, but he did it because it's the best thing for our future.
1: Clearly, the next year is going to be spent by you and and other people in the president's inner circle trying to make sure that we have four more years of Trump and I, I wish you well on that on that journey and we'll do what I can from my perspective to to help. Um, just wondering though, down the line, you think you might uh, step into the arena in a in a different way?
0: Uh, well you know right now my only focus is 2020. I mean you know I, I want another four more years of this obviously you know he's accomplished incredible things despite unprecedented incoming you know but unlike anything any president has ever taken, Uh, before and he's still getting it done so i want a few more years of that to make sure that you know we we can uh you know rid the swamp of some of uh these bad actors that we we can call out this nonsense you know we can do that we can reset the course of this country in a positive way for many years to come Uh, i do enjoy the game i mean i I do like being out there i like seeing yeah the difference that it's making in people's lives uh you know I, i sort of I've never really been much for the New York City sort of rubber chicken dinner charity circuit scene. I, I, I'm probably much more at home in many uh, in many respects, you know, in in the Rust Belt, in in the Midwest, uh, out there. Whether it's you know hunting, fishing, shooting, all my hobbies that bring me there. Uh, so it is so cool to see those people living better lives and having more opportunity, and you know, not not fearing for their children's futures in the same way. Uh, so I I do like it, but you know, again, for for now, my only focus is 2020, and you know, once we get that, we can talk.
1: All right. Donald Trump, Jr., everybody. New uh, New York Times, number one best-selling author. The book is triggered. Go ahead and grab your copy now. Don, thanks so much for making the time. Congrats and good luck.
2: Thank you very much, Buck. Really appreciate it. We are saying what this campaign is about is not just winning the election. It is telling the one percent and the corporate elites who, by the way, in case you haven't noticed it, are getting very nervous lately. The billionaires are actually getting very emotional. They're breaking down. They want to take our money. Oh, my God. How terrible can these people be? We only have $150 billion. They want us to pay taxes. What is this country coming to? Bernie
1: Sanders is out there with demagoguery, no facts, no truth, no nothing. They want us to pay taxes. Only 150, first of all, who, who, 150 billion? Does anyone have 150 billion? Who's even talking about Oh, man, it's, people just like to hear this stuff. They like to hear that the rich are going to get roughed up. The really, really rich are going to be, Squeezed. Um, I, I've got to tell you, this is it, it's fascinating to see. I mean, Democrats are getting what they deserve here, especially very wealthy Democrats, because the the way that this has been set up for a long time for the particularly wealthy Democrats is that they buy off, you know, their their guilt, their sin of all this acquisition of wealth is dealt with by supporting left-wing causes, by being a Democrat. By saying you care so much about poor people. I mean, you see this also where it doesn't matter what you give to charity. That's not that doesn't expunge the sin of tremendous financial success. What you have to do, according to these Democrats, what what must occur is supporting left wing causes. Look at uh, when one of the Koch brothers passed away relatively recently. They were very they were very clear on the left that it didn't matter that he had given tons of money. I mean, I can't even count. I mean lots and lots and lots of big checks to different artistic endeavors, charitable foundations. No because he was he was not even really a Republican, kind of a libertarian. you know the Koch brothers are very uh, very on some issues but rather socially liberal. You have to be a left-wing billionaire, or else your billions are the equivalent of ill-gotten gains. That had been the way that it was. Now it's more, if you're a billionaire, period, we might have to sacrifice your property rights on the altar of Bernie Sanders' socialism. And they're going to be saying things like, oh, it's just a little bit here and a little bit there. It's it's going to be quite, quite a lot of, uh, of money, actually. And the people that are pushing this, and you know this, whether it's Sanders or Warren, they don't understand the ramifications. They don't understand what the economic impact will be of these different policies that they're pushing. All they really know is that people on the left like to hear about how bad billionaires are, the big, bad billionaires going to take their money. We're going to take it away from them make sure that they can't actually continue to be the plutocrats, the fat cats, the billionaires. It used to be from Bernie the millionaires and the billionaires. But then people found out that Bernie Sanders, prominent socialist, has three houses and is himself a millionaire. So that makes it a little bit more. That makes it a little trickier. That makes it a little harder. You know, The, the, the ultra millionaires and the billionaires, millionaires in the 10 million plus category. So it's not like you have a lake house in Vermont. You gotta have a beach house in the Hamptons, and then you're a bad millionaire. Okay. Well, I'm glad we've established there's some kind of uh, separation there. Uh, I'm glad that Bernie Sanders is now so uh, so very clear. Oh, wait, wait. I wanted to get to this.
2: <laughs> I couldn't believe.
1: I love it. I mean, I, I'm I don't hide this. I, I you guys all know. I I think Tucker. I think Tucker is great. Uh, I think I think his show is excellent. I think he's very entertaining, very smart. And he's always been very, very kind to me, which is, uh, I will tell you, rare from the alpha males in this media business. There are a few who are very nice to me and a lot that are hoping that I get hit by a bus. But maybe that's a conversation we'll have another time. Uh, Tucker's great. And I just love this. Just play just play 26. This is fantastic. CNN went wall to wall with it all day under strict instructions from their reclusive dwarf king to squeeze every last drop of partisan drama from the proceedings. If you got stuck in an airport and happened to catch some of it, you can testify to how pointless and tiresome the whole thing was. If nothing else, it made you realize that Democrats really have no master plan for impeachment, whatever you may suspect. They clearly haven't thought it through. They're making it up as they go along, as most people in D.C. are and in the end, impeachment almost certainly will hurt them. The whole premise is just too dumb not to hurt them. He called Jeff Zucker, <laughs> the president of CNN, who's a jerk, uh, it called him a reclusive dwarf king. <laughs> I don't think Tucker's going to get a job from Zucker anytime soon. Tucker versus Zucker. Tucker won. Tucker won that battle. Wow. I did not I did not know that uh that, that big T would go there but um he did. Oh and since we're having a little fun at CNN's expense which is always always entertaining and always worthwhile cuz uh, CNN is I was hoping that Don Jr was going to say that CNN's the worst cuz I think CNN's the worst but he he didn't want to specify. So I I can un- I can understand um but uh there's this thing at CNN where they like to do the, they like to really dig in on Kellyanne Conway and the differences that she has. And she's one of the president's most senior spokespersons. and But the differences that she has uh, with her husband, George Conway. And this is a re- recurring and it's it's just very strange. Like CNN really seems their audience really likes this. This marital strife storyline that they push of you have a prominent woman who works for a president. You have a husband who doesn't like that president. They keep bringing it up. And Kellyanne Conway does not appreciate when they do. This was her with uh, with Wolf Blitzer. Let's hear some of the exchange.
4: A sensitive question, uh, and it's it's a political question. It's a substantive question. I don't want to talk about your marriage. I know that there are, <laughs> there are, there are issues there. Your husband George Conway, he's a did, lawyer. Did you just say? your husband George did, did, Conway. Did you just say there are issues there? You don't want to talk about marriage. I don't want to talk about no. I don't want to talk. Why did you say that? I don't want to talk about your marriage. I don't want to talk about you. I want to talk about a substantive point that your husband George Conway made. He was on television all day yesterday during this the first day of the impeachment hearings and he said this about the president of the United States i just want your reaction to the substance of what so he said you play the clip which i haven't seen why and why are you doing that because because he's a legal scholar he's a lawyer and he was really going after the president of the United States and he was and, all over and television the yesterday and, and come on i just wait, want you to, jungle, i just and he's married to me but you know, he happens to be married to you. What's but you can run that. The, you can run the clip of Jeffrey. He happens to be married to me. That's bizarre Cripp. But uh, he's also a legal scholar. He's he's got a substantive point.
1: <laughs> you can tell Wolf knows he's like in uh, he's on some shaky ground here. But the audience loves it. The audience is going to want it. You know, they're going to want to see Kellyanne Conway on the hot seat. Oh, your husband said this, and you don't agree with your husband. So what do we make of that? <sighs> They just look, folks, they they really I was gonna say they, they can't help themselves. They can. They just they choose not to. They like to go with this storyline of Kellyanne Conway and her husband uh, in a feud because their audience likes to think of a prominent Trump supporting female who you know, has has trouble on the home front because of what her husband says. I mean, it's really messed up. Sensitive question, he goes. Why are you going to ask? This is the president's senior advisor, senior counselor. Why are you going to start asking a question that's sensitive, that's personal, that's not really? And uh, he goes, you know, there's issues there. And he, tries to, he tries to just jump past that. She goes, oh, hold on a second. And then she forced him to say, why are you asking me about him? Because he's my husband. Why are you trying to get me to go against my husband on national TV, Wolf? What's this all about? I mean, aren't there more important things for the country to be hearing about than whether or not Mr. and Mrs. Conway disagree on the on the nature of of the president and what he's doing one would think one would think that cnn would have the uh the common sense or the common decency really and that's what she went on to say we didn't play the whole clip you know why do you guys have no decency why why can't you understand that what you're doing here is wrong that what you are presenting or what you're promoting here is uh something that makes a mockery of CNN. And she said that when she grew up, she used to watch CNN and really respected it. And I have to tell you, you know, I never liked CNN. Um, I was never somebody who was like, oh, you know, I, 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 was, I always knew it was liberal. I always knew that it was kind of the the cable news channel of the elites in some way, of the liberal elites. But I thought that it at least was professional. I thought there was a profession. And I think there used to be, professionalism and what they did and it has just been abandoned. Um, it has just been absolutely cast away in favor of this anti-trumpism and I think it, it really does have to do with the as Tucker says the reclusive the reclusive dwarf King of CNN has a has a personal feud with this president and will not will not be satisfied it will not be happy. Until that feud is uh, is satiated by the president, either losing an election or even better getting uh, pushed out of office. That is that is what they would like to see. Um, It's just. uh, You know, it's not going to change anytime soon, unfortunately, it's not going to change at all. But this is this is where we are. And this is my my expectation going forward is that CNN's going to get even even crazier. Uh even crazier. Oh wait, we got the president met with Erdogan. I didn't get to this yet today. Play uh play 24.
6: We have a great relationship with the Kurds. We have had.
1: Uh, we're with them now. We get along with them. And by the way, I think the president, uh, he may have some factions within the Kurds, but I think the president has a great relationship with the Kurds. Many Kurds live currently in Turkey and they're happy and they're taken care of, including health We were talking about it before, including health care and education and other things. <sighs> and look, I know it's some complexities here uh but turkey turkey could use a brush back pitch or two from the united states the turkish government is not nearly as as helpful and as much of an ally i mean for a nato allied country uh to take the positions that turkey has been taking you know not just recently but in in recent years stretching back for a while they also went with the S-400 missile system, buying it from Russia, which is raising questions about, okay, well, we're not going to give them F-35s if they don't get rid of the S-400 missile system, right? Turkey is, uh, is caught in between the pull of Russia and the pull of the West, and one of the issues is that the Turkish people, especially outside of Istanbul and the main cities, the Turkish people do prefer this—you know, th- there are some countries— Russia is one of them. Turkey's one of them. Where they have a cultural affinity for the strongman role uh, in leadership. They want somebody who embodies the nation. Now, they want somebody who's the decider in this way. And so while we get very upset about the—I mean, Turkey's one of the worst places in the world to be a journalist. I think they've jailed more journalists than any other country or have more of them in prison than any other country. Uh, there's all kinds of crackdowns and authoritarianism. Authoritarianism in some countries is popular, and Turkey is one of them. So this is not a situation that I think is going to improve anytime soon. And the president being friendly with Erdogan in this way is—I uh, mean, look, he's, got, he's a state visit. He's coming to the White House. I get it. But uh, Turkey is not friendly to the Kurds on the other side of the Turkish border. That much is for sure The Turks, uh, Turks have already shown themselves to be— <laughs> maniacally Hey, so, Team I'm Buck,
2: and it's here. time for roll call. Hope it's good in.
1: It's time for roll call, everybody. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. All right, man, let's get to it. Aaron. Hey, Buck. I'm a little behind on podcasts. I always say the best for last. So I agree it's ridiculous to get emotional over politics, but I have to admit when my husband woke me up in the middle of the night and told me that Trump won, at first I thought he was joking, but that was immediately followed by an overwhelming sense of glee, and I didn't even vote for him. I was just so happy the machine was finally defeated, and I sadistically laughed and laughed as they showed all of her supporters weeping (laughs) and thoroughly enjoyed watching the shock and awe on all the journalists' faces. I do, however, become seriously emotional over my childhood movies, and I was about to cancel my subscription to Disney when I heard that they cut the original We Are Siamese song. I think it's important to point out they're, in fact, Siamese cats. That would be worse than what Lucas did the original Star Wars. It would be censorship. So I had to investigate this claim, and good news. Disney did not cut that scene, nor did they cut out the Italian scene. There's a remake with actual animals. Perhaps that's what they were talking about. I also love the sword and the stone. And if you do name your dog Archimedes, you'll have to call him by his whole name. Don't listen to Mark. You do a perfect Archimedes impression. Thank you. That's right. That's just a great name. I might have to steal it. Who who what what? Archimedes. Um let's see what we have here. Um, yeah, I think that's uh I don't I don't know if I haven't checked Wait wait, do I have to sign up for the Disney thing? How does this work? Is this like a Netflix thing? I just have to subscribe to it. Yes. How much is it?
6: Uh, I think it's six ninety nine a month, something wow. like that.
1: So what? Do, other than the Disney movies, like what do I get that's good? What does Disney own that's good? Oh,
6: when, they own everything, Buck. Yeah. Right. There's nothing they don't own. All the Marvel movies are there, as really? if you care. All the Mar- Marvel movies, yeah. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of others. So The Simpsons hmm. is now owned by Disney. So all thirty seasons of The Simpsons is on there. There's a lot. Wow. And they're actually doing a package. You can get Hulu. Uh, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus for like twelve ninety nine a month. Huh. Yeah. Uh,
1: man, I just I just need Fox News, and then I'm going to cut the cord. So I, how do I get digital Fox News, and then I just cut the— Because I just need to be able to watch the news, and I can't watch Isn't the Isn't Fox actually, News on Pluto? I kind of need all the— I don't think it's the full channel. Oh, okay. I don't know. I, have, I should check that out. Though. Yeah. Pluto Channel 248, which is the first, which is the yeah, best channel you ever. You don't on Pluto. need
6: Fox when you've got Pluto.
1: That's correct. I just need to know what's, you know, what's going on in breaking news world. Sean writes, hey, Buck, I think that you have said that you don't watch South Park, but if you chance, if you get a chance, treat yourself to last night's episode. They take on gender identity. Ra- Macho man Randy Savage is involved. And yes, it is sa- uh, Savage. Shields high from behind enemy lines in California. Did you see this, this uh, gender identity thing with this? Do you Are you a South Park guy?
6: I'll watch it. I just don't watch it religiously. Yeah.
1: I've seen some of the stuff. It's funny.
6: Yeah. South Park is a very funny show, generally. Yeah.
1: I Simpsons? Are you a Simpsons
6: guy? I used to be, like everyone.
1: Yeah. The
6: fact that it's still on it's pretty is amazing. Yeah, yeah. That's true.
1: All right, cool. Uh, Let's see here. John Buck, thank you for being anti dynasty. Our founding fathers would be proud. Uh, I'm the same way. My friends give me grief because I like your opinion on that. Well, thank you, John. Look, I think we're right. I think it's just weird. You know, I I think nepotism is bad. I think dynasties are bad. I, I don't like any of this. I don't like when anybody does it. Can't agree with it. So, you know, people can tell me I'm wrong, but I'm right. You can tell me I'm wrong, but I'm right. Gary. Buck, what's up with the excruciating long musical intro into each of your segments? I tune in to hear your views and commentary, not some second rate filler music at the beginning and end of each segment. Do you need to use this music for bathroom breaks? The musical lead ins have become so tedious that I switched the station so as not to subject myself to the music. I don't know what, what is he talking about on the on the terrestrial radio side? Yes, on
6: radio. There's music.
1: Is there anything that we can do about that? Not really no, right, the, the stations have to watch.
6: Yeah, yeah that, that's just the way it is. It, that's all syndicated radio shows. Yeah, There's music. Listen to the podcast I mean, if you really we, hate it that much. Do we much. play
1: more music than other people And there? Uh, I don't think kids. so, no.
6: I think yeah. we play a lot less.
1: Okay. Yeah, we don't do any of the, like, we don't come in with, you know.
6: Yeah, we don't, don't come in with random movie. songs yeah. like a lot of shows do.
1: I mean, I oh, don't Gary. We love you, man. Stay with the Freedom Hut. I don't know to tell you. I don't know L- how we. Listen can to
6: make... the podcast if it really bothers yeah, you. Yeah, that listen to the
1: podcast. There you go. Listen to the podcast. Because we don't have the music on the podcast, so. There you go. Um Jonathan right. Sorry to say, but I am done with Drudge. Can't really take the liberal slant. Side note as I'm here, uh, both make the claim. Whose head is bigger on Fox? You or Dan Bongino. I'm kidding. Keep us safe, keep us warm. Shields high. Uh, Dan Bongino's got a he's got a sizable, he's got a legit cranium. I, you know, I respect the dome. He's got a it's legit, it's big. Is it as big as my head, though? I don't know. We'd have to weigh them out. I mean, I have a, I have a
6: noggin. This thing is enormous. We had to widen the door in the yeah. studio.
1: I mean, it's like Bonk from Bonk's Adventure, which was a Turbo Graphics sixteen game. It's probably before your time. You don't even know what Turbo Graphics. I have is. no
6: idea what that is.
1: So there was a time when there were these uh, competitors to. Is PlayStation? Is, is there a Nintendo still?
6: Yeah, Nintendo Switch.
1: I don't even know what that was. Wow, okay. I thought PlayStation basically dominated the market now.
6: Well, it's PlayStation, Xbox, and Nintendo still. Oh, Xbox. Yeah.
1: Okay, yeah, those are the three. Those are the three. There there was a little time when there would be these um, video game systems that were—and TurboGrafx-16 was one of them. And it actually had some pretty good games. Um, And I remember it was a handheld—this is how old I am—it was a handheld video game player that was in color. And had this tiny, like a 2-inch by 2-inch screen— or you know something, and it was in color though.
6: And Everyone else is playing a Game Boy, and you have this ridiculous knockoff thing that nobody's ever no, this heard was, of.
1: This was more a Game this, Boy. This was uh, like a, a souped-up version again. This was a super expensive. It was like three hundred fifty dollars back Oof. in the early nineties. This was like the,
6: but see. it didn't have like Pokemon and the, all the fun games the actual this people were so playing. your
1: time, you don't need, you, don't need, you don't need, This is so before your time. You're not even. Is it? Yeah. No. This is, you were like, in, you weren't even in the womb. You were.
6: I was. I was alive exist. when the Game Boy Color came out.
1: This is pre-Game Boy Color, I think. Anyway, it was revolutionary for its time, and there was a game called Bonk's Adventure. And it was a caveman with a giant head, and he would run around smacking people with his giant head. That was his weapon. That's you. He didn't quite have the... I think he was bald, though, so he didn't have quite the swoop, but I am bonk for Well, you'd bonk.
6: mess up your hair if you tried to headbutt people. I can't do you'd that. You'd need a helmet or something. That's crazy. We can't, we can't have that. Now we know about concussions, so
1: also true important thing to avoid uh let's get back into roll call here john writes buck this should scare you glenn beck presents the democrats hydra huh um uh, i gotta check out with this i don't know what glenn's been up to i gotta go visit glenn i haven't seen glenn in a while i haven't talked to glenn in a while i hope he's i hope he's good and uh i gotta i gotta check it out um Adam, I check Glenn out and make sure he's doing okay. Adam, Elizabeth Warren sounds like Stuart's mom from Mad TV. Um I'll have to take your word for it. I don't know. And also you do a fantastic job speaking to truth. I listen daily on my hour drive home from work. Shields high, brother. Well, Adam, thank you. And that's one of the great things. That's why we put the podcast out earlier, is so that people could listen whenever they want in the afternoon. This show is up every day before you leave work for the most part, for most of you. Um, it's up in drive time all across the country, so I want this to be the show you listen to every day. I want you guys to be listening to the Buck Sexton Show. Uh, it's up by three Eastern. You know, producer Mark is like the guy who is running the matrix, and uh, he makes sure the matrix runs on time. That's gonna be uh, that's gonna be it for today, team. Um, thanks so much for calling, I mean, for for joining, and for writing in. Maybe for calling in. We will talk to you tomorrow. Shields high.